Welcome to Emotional Intelligence at Work, brought to you by Genos International. Well, welcome, Vanessa. It's so great to have you on the show. I've always enjoyed our interactions at the EI Consortium meetings. Thank you. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here with you, Ben. Really looking forward to discussing this topic with you, building emotionally intelligent teams. So, you know, everyone knows in every great team, there's good communication, collaboration, connection between people. Tell us, how are you defining emotionally intelligent teams? Okay. Um, to, to do that, I have to start by saying something about what makes a team great. Hmm. And a little known fact about teams is that the interactions among the members will make or break a team. So in an ideal situation, it's um, there's an interaction that's created where everyone comes alive, everyone shares what they know, we build on one another's ideas. And this idea of synergy um, mm. is that when we interact, we're greater than the sum of our parts. So in other words, we produce something that nobody walked in the in the door with, that mm. we we come up with some new ideas. You teach me something, I teach you something, we inter we integrate it and and this is the ideal. This is what you really want in a collaborative team. Um, and that happens in some teams and it doesn't in others. So that's people don't really understand that it's all about the interactions. What regulates interactions are social norms. Mm. So interactions are not random. Every team has a way that they interact. For example, in some teams, everyone's included. Some teams, some people talk more than others. Mm. That's probably the most basic. Um, in some teams, we, 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 we go to the introverts and we say, we really want to hear you. We really want to know what's on your mind. And other teams, you know, we let the extroverts or the people with status uh, fill up the, the airtime. So that's not ideal. Mm. And so it's norms. You create habits in a team. It's the norms that determine the kind of interactions that happen. And so an emotionally intelligent team is a team that has interaction norms mm. that meet the emotional needs of the members and bring out the best. Okay, so they are healthy interaction norms. That's all I'll say about it right now. As I was listening to you, as I'm sure our audience was, I was immediately starting to think of members in, in our team. And, and that comment you made about how the collective all sometimes produces something greater than the sum of themselves or something to that effect is what you were talking about there. And I was certainly thinking about, I'm one of these people who responds well when somebody puts something in front of me, but if it's a blank canvas, I often procrastinate and get lost. Do you know what I mean? And so there's that bouncing of ideas and, and things like, like that that happens between me and some of my team members, at least, um, mm -hmm. that certainly produces uh, better outcomes. And then you were talking about these social norms. I have seen in my own work, of course, that some teams just naturally seem to um, have those kind of things going on. Sometimes they're explicit, sometimes they're natural, and other teams don't. Tell us about uh, your your views on on those that don't. You know, what what doesn't happen that should? Well, for one, they probably don't have an emotionally intelligent leader. Hmm. Um, so one of the things that we found is that to build emotionally intelligent norms you have to recognize that you've got a bunch of human beings in front of you. So here's here's the other little known fact, which is that 
you would know this, but many people don't, every interaction generates emotion. Mm. So the way we interact has an impact on me. And in fact, it changes me in some ways. And so if our interactions um, are respectful, if our interactions validate me, I'm more likely to continue on. I'm more likely to feel good about what I'm doing and I'm more likely to continue to contribute, right? Mm. Um, and so um, leaders, if leaders know that, they can build norms. They naturally build norms that produce that. Mm. Um, if they know that people are human beings and they want to be heard, they want to be not just heard, but there's more that they need, which I can tell you about more when I talk about our model of team emotional intelligence. But um, primarily the baseline is that people like to be respected and known, yeah, uh, understood, um, and cared for, cared about. Mm. Mm. An emotionally intelligent leader is someone perhaps who uh, just naturally brings out some of these kind of norms or gets them going perhaps without them even being so explicit. And I guess what you're starting to dig into there for me is um, the contribution that individuals own EI makes perhaps to the collective uh, EI. Do you want to kind of talk a little bit about the difference between team level EI, individual EI that we talk a lot about on this show? um, Mm -hmm. And the need, perhaps, to bring those both together. Sure, absolutely. But first of all, you're always—it's always great to have um, members with individual EI. You know, yeah. they're better listeners. They're more empathetic. That they—they take other people's perspectives uh, more seriously. Uh, they manage their own um, impulses, things like that, in in, in meetings. Um, but if you don't have norms that, um regulate the interaction so that everyone gets heard and everything feels equitable and fair, for example, Um, even emotionally intelligent people won't be as empathetic. And so what I argue is that it's great to have emotional intelligence in your individuals. And in fact, you'll probably build an emotionally intelligent team more easily. But um, individual skills alone, individual EI, does not make for an emotionally intelligent team. Because as soon as you, let me give you an example for, for, for um, a good example that I've seen in a lot of, a lot of teams that I've worked with. Um, you can have somebody with a lot of empathy, and then they get into a team where things just don't seem very fair. No one's empathetic to them. Uh, the situation, maybe they're lower status and they're not heard as often. Their ideas aren't taken as seriously and their empathy will dwindle. You know, we know that the context impacts how empathetic you can be. Mm. Social mm. context always matters. So behavior is always a function of both your skills and your personality and the context that you're in. Um, and so the context if the context is supportive of your EI um, and it's it, the process, the interaction process um, is effective and it's producing something and it feels good, you're getting validated, others are cooperating, you're learning from them, you're contributing to that, you get, you know, you get an endorphin high and the, it creates a positive cycle. And that's what we're aiming at. An individual EI doesn't necessarily create that. It helps, but it doesn't necessarily create it. Yeah. Sounds like, um, you know, emotionally intelligent individuals can come together and be good, but not necessarily great, that there's more to it than that. And yeah. Yes. 
Excellent. And I guess what we're starting to hear about too here is how you actually perhaps form uh, and create a really emotionally intelligent team. Sounds like the starting place of that is establishing uh, some social norms uh, that are specific to the context of the group. What else do we do to build emotionally intelligent teams out? Tell us about the journey you might take a, a team on in terms of, you know, a collection of individuals to a really great, high-functioning, emotionally intelligent team. Well, the, the journey that I uh, go on is influenced by the model that we have. So, um, you know, I've spent the last, well, I spent 10 years building an, a model of norms that really um, produce an emotionally intelligent team. And I tend to measure that, uh, the culture of a team by using that model. Um, yeah. There's lots of ways to do that. Um, but the, the bottom line is you begin by, by, by assessing the team's culture. You know, what's working well now? What isn't working well? Um, do people feel heard? Um, and you can't just look at the average. You have to look at the range, right? So, because inevitably you have people um, who um, feel good. They're heard. They like this team. Um, and that will probably include the team leader because everybody listens to that person when they talk, they feel heard, et cetera. Um, but there are always people who they tend to be the lower status for whatever reason, sometimes because they have a personality that, that strikes people the bad up in a bad way. They, 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 it creates a cycle. No one wants to hear them anymore. But anyway, when those people are, 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 um, talking, people start picking up their phones like this <laughs> and you, you don't miss that. You know, your emotional brain does not miss. Just before we yes. keep going, if yes. people are interested to know your model and these assessments that you're talking about, Vanessa, where should they go to have a look at this material? Is it something that is uh, in the public domain that they could go and look, look for? Uh, well, uh, there, there's a Harvard business review article that's been republished a bunch of times, four times. Um, yeah. But it's also, it was originally, it was, um, published originally in 2001 we've added to the model since I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a book right now I'm, I'm, I'm under contract um mm -hmm. uh to to write a book about it so that'll be coming out you know in the next year but um yeah go go to um google it if you yeah. google it it's uh you'll, you'll find it yeah. yeah and even if you google Vanessa's name it'll come up uh as I've yeah, seen it, it comes up before yeah, so we're talking about building emotionally intelligent teams. And of course, the starting place is kind of having a bit of an assessment of the emotional culture of the team or the. the yes, the exactly. Team. Exactly. You said something quite poignant that you can't just look at the average, you've also got to look at the range. And yes. I really like that because I think uh, a lot of the times, you know, you might just bench, how are we performing against, you know, the the benchmark or or the average? I like this notion of also looking uh, at the range. So we've got that information in front of us. Kind of what are some of the next steps that you might work on to, to help build out an emotionally intelligent team? Well, the probably primarily is that you have to recognize that um, the interaction norms matter. So you've mm -hmm. got to be, you've got to say, how do we want to operate? You know, what are our values? Norms tend to grow yeah. out of values. Um, 
you know, how do we want to operate? We have actually three buckets of norms that we talk about that really matter. Um, one is how we treat one another, how we get to know one another. By the way, you can't really respect people that you don't know very well. And so in order to validate people, you have to know something about them. The second bucket is how are we going to keep learning and, and growing as a team? And so we've got a set of norms that, that, um, that focus on that. And what that allows the team to do is have an open conversation that allows them to build a, a shared mental model of how the team is working and how it wants it to, to work. And then the last one is about the stakeholders in the team. And so what I always argue is whether you use our model or not, you need to have norms that fall into those three buckets. Mm -hmm. um, um, they, what they do is they um, create a foundation of relationship, create a foundation of um, you know, building a mental model of how we want to work in the future. Um, and um, and then also the all important um, uh, norms about your stakeholders. You know, mm -hmm. are you connected? Do you know who they are? Because teams can become insular. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the big dangers in teams is that you start to, once you start to get kind of good, you start to think you've got everything you need in the team already. And mm -hmm. always you build more resources, you build a better sense of control over what you're doing, you build higher performance. Um, and your if your mental model that you're working with includes information from your stakeholders. So so anyway, that's I, I recommend that you build, you say, what do we need to, what do we how are we treating one another right now? How do we feel about that? It's mm -hmm. great to get anonymous feedback i mean you can do a survey monkey um yeah, yeah. so you get an, an anonymous feedback because then you do get the range because what ends up happening by the way a lot of bad behavior that emerges in teams comes from people that don't have a way of letting you know they don't feel included yeah yeah turns out when we don't feel included we lose our ability to control our emotions mm. And so strange, but true, we start to behave badly. You'd think that we'd ingratiate or something, which we do initially, mm. but um, it doesn't work. You can't, you can't make yourself included. And so you end up getting angry. You end up behaving badly. And so what you want to do is create norms that, that make everyone feel included, treat everyone with respect as best possible. Perfection yeah. is never... And then, you know, you want to have the norm, the norms about constantly taking a look at how you're doing, build a mental model where you're going. And then, of course, the stakeholders. Yeah. Let me stop I really, I really think those three buckets are, are very useful. While you were talking, I was thinking about, uh, you know, old age sayings like there's what you know, you don't know, and there's what you don't know that you don't know. And perhaps that, yeah. that not only happens at an individual level, but it can happen at a group level when a team becomes insular, I think is the word uh, that you use. And I certainly in my own work really encourage teams often to search, go outside of the group, bring information back into it, synthesize and share it, you know, to really bring that stakeholder bucket uh, uh, to life. Yeah. I think the other thing that you got me thinking about in listening to what you were just saying is um, this notion that perhaps when you build an emotionally intelligent team, through these norms and other things that you're talking about, that you perhaps also raise levels of individual emotional intelligence within the team. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes, and you do. And that sometimes require um, 
perhaps more intervention at an individual level, like in your work and those are, that work in emotionally intelligent teams is collective stuff. Is there sometimes the need to, to perhaps uh, go to, to a particular individual in the team and really lift um, their individual capabilities? Do you want to just talk to that a little bit? Absolutely. So um, an emotionally intelligent team is a team that um, creates these productive norms and the norms are focused on, you know, continuous improvement, including the continuous improvement of the individuals. So within our bucket of how we treat individuals, you know, how we're going to treat one another, one of the norms is do we give one another feedback? Mm. Do we call it out when someone, um, do we let people know when they're doing something that's not helpful? And so um, everyone loves that norm because it's kind of the accountability norm. But what really matters is how you do it. And so what we recommend when we're building that norm is that you talk about how people want to receive feedback. And let me give you an, a, a good example of, of what one team that we worked with did. And then now I've recommended it for many. Um, they started um, collecting individual feedback, sort of feed forward, you know, Marshall Goldsmith's yeah. idea of feed forward. So what do we want to see more of from you? You know, what are some behaviors that you're engaging in that might not not be so helpful, but what do we want to see more of? So they would collect that, um, you know, twice a year and then deliver that information to um, to the individual. Someone would be selected to give it to. Let's say we were on the same team. I might give it to you. You know, you might give it to me. We would rotate around. And people get so fired up about that hmm. because when does someone that you know that you interact with give you such good developmental feedback. Mm. Um, and people get promoted out of teams because of the good feedback they get from one another. And so that's just one example of, of a norm that if you frame it as something that's helpful, um, you can you can not just help the people, but you can help the team, right? Mm. Mm. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. I can say more. Yeah. But let me say one more thing because I think it's important. Yeah. When you're a team leader, you obviously have to coach people as well. I mean, there is one of the things we know about studying team leaders is that you do need to pull people aside once in a while and say, what's up? You know, what do yeah. you need? Uh, why? What, what's the source of this? Um, and maybe you bring that back to the team, maybe not. But there's always there's always a source. There's always a reason why people are acting out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You talked before about inclusion and um, how important that is. And you're starting to talk there a little bit, I think, about diversity and about promotion out of the teams. You know, like there's there can be flux, can't there, and changes that are happening around a team within a team and things like that. So, um, yeah, what I, I guess I was going to ask you is uh, if team members are leaving and coming, um, what do you do for those in that onboarding of a new team member, I suppose, to help them quickly settle in to what might be a kind of very emotionally intelligent existing team that's functioning very well with itself? Well, there's nothing better than having um, a clear set of norms, operating yeah. norms. So um, it's being explicit so, about them and talking with them about it. Yeah. yeah. So what, what I've seen teams um, do is they, they have the norms written down you know, they remind them one another of what these norms are. 
And when there's a new person they're onboarding, they're able to hand the norms and they're able to say, this is what we do. But the other thing that's important is that, you know, teams change and you've got to revisit the norms. And so what they say to the person is these are the norms now. We're going to be revisiting these. We'd love to have your input on them. You know, you're important to us. Um, and so it's a live document. It's not a static document. A, a li the list of norms is is absolutely live. Mm. So so I want to say one more thing, though, about inclusion and belonging, because this is something I've thought a lot about, done a lot of research on um, in the last couple of years. So one of the things I didn't really understand about our model um, you know, we went out on the road, started working, coaching a lot of teams, using this, changing their norms, helping them improve. I couldn't quite get why it was working so well until I started to, to realize the impact of all of a sudden feeling like you're belonging and being included. And so I, um, and this is really what a huge um, impact of this, this model does it creates a foundation when you know you're included when you know you belong you 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 relax mm. so you can really use your full co cognition you know we, we you know that as well as i do that about emotional intelligence is if you don't have to save some of your cognitive capacity to focus on whether or not you're in or out whether or mm. not you're hurt or not which by the way our brain does automatically um if you can just relax you're 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 a better performer but but just one more thing about that is when I took a deep dive into this literature, one of the things I learned is that we are wired. Our number one social need is to belong. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. when we do feel like we belong, we become more pro-social. We become more willing to give. Mm. We, we become more collaborative automatically. And so when you create that kind of environment, um, it... it it draws people in and it um and it you know meets their need and it has a has a really important impact especially today when people are working remotely a lot and by the way we've been doing this with remote teams for years um you can build a sense of you know team ei norms you have to be explicit you have to take the time and and, and build those norms you can do it in a remote team um, and it, it it has consequences. It has real consequences for people's well-being um, and um, and team outcomes. The other thing that you got me thinking about and listening to that is it is a very accessible concept. You know, we've got to focus on helping everyone feel a sense of belonging and connection to the team. But there's a real art to doing that well, isn't there? You know, like we are all... Um, very much driven by and have a need for belonging but the sorts of things that make us feel a sense of belonging with the group can actually be as wide and varied as our personalities can't they you know like some people feel very connected and a sense of affinity and belonging with the team through the level of interpersonal warmth that they might have with some of the team members others might feel that from perhaps you know feeling like they're drawn on for their ideas. Um, you know, they uh, are asked to do things that fit more with um, their particular motivations and so on. Would you say there's a real art to that? And would you like to point to some of the, the perhaps art of um, creating a sense of belonging for different types of people? Oh, you, you, you're raising a really important point, um, which 
is related to this this first bucket of norms, which is about getting to know one another and how do we treat mm -hmm. one another. And one of the things you need to do is get to know what people what people want, what they need from the team. Mm -hmm. And so when you do get to know um, people and you find out, you know, what they're looking for from the team, um, it's easier to do that. But let me say there's a real universality to what people need um, when it comes to belonging. Um, mm -hmm. There's really three things that they that they need, which is what the literature point, points to. Um, one, they want to feel necessary. They want to feel needed. They want to be part of something. So they want to be, feel valued by the team. Turns out that um, self-esteem, there's a whole literature on how self-esteem is actually a proxy for the social value you give to the group. Hmm. So if you feel like you add value, um, then you 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 have self-esteem in that group. Hmm. Um, and so... Uh, so how you, you know, how, the kind of value you want to offer, you know, what you offer to the consortium, for example, when we're in meetings together is very different than what I offer. And so yeah. I want to be validated for what I offer. I'm, I'm assuming you want to be validated for what you offer. Yeah. Um, the other dilemma here, oh, so, so there's two other things. Let me say with those two things and let me say what the dilemma is. The second thing is people want to have a level of control. Yeah. They want to have a level of influence. You yeah. know, it's a basic need. And what we now know is that need supports our ability to maintain our belonging. Hmm. Um, and then the third thing um, is related to our second bucket. And that is that they want to be able to vet what's going on around here with other people. So hmm. we're constantly guessing about what's going on. And we constantly guess around that so that we can maintain our level of belonging. And so if we have open conversations where people are real with one another in the team, such mm -hmm. as in that second bucket where we build a mental model of what we're going to do going forward, we feel like we can maintain. So this is not my work. This is the work of Susan Fisk um, uh, and other social psychologists, Rory yes. um, Bullmeister. Um, and um, so anyway, those three things seem to really matter to building a sense of belonging. Here's the, the strange thing. We don't know we have a need to belong. We don't know it. It's unconscious. It's an unconscious drive. Yeah, it's unconscious. Yeah. But nevertheless, our emotional system is scanning for it constantly. So let me tell you how I changed this, or we changed this. My so the folks I was working with, um, we had one team that was a real stickler. Uh, a bunch of people who were not nice to one another. They were not performing well. They had a new leader who brought us in and said, you know, you're really going to help me. We're, we're you know, um, they, the the original leader was already had been laid off. The new leader said, I don't know what I'm going to do with this team. And one of the things we identified right off the bat is that nobody respected, at least they, they had to respect each other because they were talented people. They weren't demonstrating that respect. Mm -hmm. So we had them, we said, well, how are you going to do it? What are you going to do? How, how do you? He said, well, I know someone respects me when they look, lean forward and they nod their head when I'm talking. Mm. Okay. And they, and they show me that what I'm saying matters to them. Okay. Mm. So they took on this norm where they were going to lean forward. And I can't tell you how it changed things. Mm. It was a small act that changed. All of a sudden they really were listening to one another. All of a sudden, their, their decisions started getting better. And it was, you know, one of many things they did, but that was the big one that I think really 
really um, opened up this sense of, hey, you know, we can be helpful and we do all matter here. Yeah. 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 Including me. What <laughs> yeah. I think again you're talking a little bit about the art of this you know like everyone gets sure. you know this notion or you've got to be present and mindful with each other when you're listening but then there's all the little uh unconscious non-verbal um signals and things that you send that I think it's just so valuable to know you know how valuable it is to lean forward a little bit to even hold your hands in a particular way how to sit in a way that makes somebody really feel like you're present you know I I think I'm one of these people myself sometimes who really gets all this stuff theoretically um but it's so helpful to hear little things like that I think actually give us also the behaviors of for example, yes, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. Yeah. And again, that's where emotional intelligence can be really helpful. For yeah, absolutely. So you've been talking a little bit about your model, which has been fantastic, value of feedback, sense of belonging, um, having good conversations. Are there other elements of it that you'd like to mention or just draw our attention to that you think are really poignant for um, emotionally intelligent teams? Sure. Um, I, there's one in particular, right? One norm in particular, I think that's really relevant right now. Um, and it's a norm about optimism. It's a norm about hope. Yeah. And um, especially during the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic and with all the remote, you know, what I found is that people feel really alienated right now. Mm. They, there's a void they just don't quite know how to fill. Um but there's a norm that, and we learn these norms, by the way, from doing research on, on great teams. Mm -hmm. And we saw this um, all the time in great teams where they would end their meetings with, you know, what are we optimistic about? Mm -hmm. What are we hopeful about? Um, you know, um, and they would always end on a, on a, on a, on a up note. Mm -hmm. And it, it had to be sincere. It couldn't be, um, you know, some Pollyanna-ish kind of thing, but my experience with teams is, is they work so hard. It's hard to be on a team. Mm. And yet nobody recognizes how hard they're working in the good. We, we you know, the, the, our brain is drawn to the negative. Yeah. Um, you know, for survival reasons, our emotional brain, um, we, we, we notice the negative and we don't often focus on what's positive. So um, some of the teams that I've worked with, I recommended having an ambassador of optimism. And mm. this is where you have at least one person you rotate it, where they have to, at the end of the meeting, talk about, you know, what went well in that meeting or what's going well in the team right now that they really want to flag and, and what are they hopeful about? And it's a discipline, you know, hope is a discipline, just like norms are a discipline. I mm. um, mm -hmm. yeah. was reflecting on, as you were talking then about uh, the fact that the opposite could also be true. It's not as um, perhaps prevalent, but... Uh, is it also true sometimes that perhaps teams can be overly optimistic about things or only focus on what's working and sort of almost be, you know, quote unquote, conflict avoidant, not not really leaning into the stuff that's not happening effectively? Um, does that sometimes happen? And, and do you, you know, is the reverse true that if that is the case, we should also get the team perhaps being more comfortable with speaking about what's not working and focusing on uh, elements for improvement? In an optimistic way, can I say? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's a great point. 
Yeah, that's a pattern of behavior. There are certain patterns we see in a lot of teams. Um, the pattern is sort of a nice, nice pattern where we don't raise, we don't disagree with one another. You know, we 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 um, we don't say anything that's going to be harmful, um, which is the antithesis of good team performance. I mean, you know, the the most famous research on that was done around you know the idea of groupthink, yeah. where there was you know the Bay of Pigs with um, President Kennedy's um cabinet nobody disagreed with anyone they they just wanted to agree they wanted to come across looking positive and optimistic to the president they were so glad to be a, a member of the cabinet um and they didn't and they didn't raise anything negative we see that a lot in teams but i'll tell you if people know that that's a, that that's the norm that's a norm yeah the norm is we're not talking straight um and so um one of the, well you, when you do an assessment, you find out what's working, what's not working. People will tell you that. That yeah. comes out all the time in the assessments that we do. What's mm -hmm. working, what's not working in our culture. But we also have a norm in our model that's called support expression. And um, in, in other words, we try to lower the hurdle for being for being um, truthful in the team. So mm -hmm. we try to, uh, we find norms um that will um, make it easier. So, you know, I love to talk about um, an exec team um, that was uh, uh, at a hospital here in Boston. And the exec, the, the CEO, the CEO who came in, he had to turn around the hospital. He had one of these construction hats with a bunch of lights on it. Uh -huh. And he said, he had it on the, on, the, on the exec table and he said, anytime... I'm not hearing what you're saying, or we are not, we're not talking about, you know, the elephant in the room or, or what everybody knows, but nobody's saying, I mm -hmm. want you to go put that hat on and flip the little light on, you know, it's the kind of thing you can buy on Amazon or something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, that's symbolic. It lowers the bar. It's reminding people. So again, that's a leader who, um, who, who tries to lower the bar and, and, and create psychological safety, basically. You know, yeah. makes it a norm, makes psychological safety a norm. Mm, mm, I love it. Um, you got me also thinking about, uh, I think it's a Jim Collins quote, good is the enemy of great. Uh, and the fact that, you know, some teams can be going along and being reasonably effective. You know, do you think you work in an emotionally intelligent team? I wonder whether it suffers a bit from the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, most people would look around and say, yeah, I think we're pretty good, you know. Um yeah, and I, I, I like this notion, I think, of even with teams that are actually functioning quite well, bringing in these norms, making them more explicit. Uh, do you want to talk about going from good to great and just perhaps your you know favourite example of working with a team that um, you know really took themselves to that next level? Was it a lot of effort? Was it a huge amount of work? Or was it actually relatively easy and the benefits of it were, were kind of profound? Give us a sense of... Um, of working with a good team and making them great. Sure. Um, so typically, you know, my colleagues and I'll get called in to, to work with a team when the leader senses something could be better. Yeah. That the, the team's working fine, but that there's something missing. The innovation isn't there or the alignment isn't there, right? Mm. Um, and so basically um, what we do is we go in and we assess. And we say what, you know, what, what actually the other thing we do, which without exception, we do every time 
is we spend time uh, on folks getting to know one another. Mm. We spend a lot of time. We build that in to everything we do. Um, a great example of that is putting up, um, doing what we call a gallery walk, which is a you know big flip chart piece of paper where we have a number of questions and everyone has to answer those questions um, and put it on the wall and we walk around and we learn something new about everyone that's in there. Or mm. people bring photos from their summer holiday with with their family or by themselves or whatever they did, they put up what they, what they want to share. You can, you know, you don't have to bring personal photos. Many people don't want to, but, um, and so we always stop with, start with that. And that it's amazing what that does to free people up. When people feel understood, they start to begin to feel a better sense of belonging. Um, so we assess it and, we say, what do you want to do? What do you want to change? And it's not, but where it gets hard is this, okay? It's about changing habits. So they'll define what they want to change. They don't have a hard time pointing to what's wrong, okay? Mm. They also don't have a hard time if you're if you're facilitating a discussion about, well, how are we going to change this, okay? So for example, they can say, all right, we want to be more optimistic or we want to be more honest. Let's have these tools or let's do this activity, uh, habitually do this activity, or we want to give one another feedback. Let's do it this way. Um, then they, what they, where they have a problem is implementing what they say they're going to do. Mm, mm. It's uncomfortable when you actually have to do the change you say that you're going to do. All right. Yeah. Everyone's agreed to do this. But nobody really wants to do it. Nobody really wants to give one another feedback. Nobody yeah. really wants to put the hat on their head and say what they're really thinking. And so that's where it gets only. That's where the hard work is. And um, that's where the leader's got to be tough. And what we recommend is that you assign a new norm to a team member, to two team members, and let them lead it. And then you check in with them and encourage them to continually do it. So mm. your job as the leader then becomes you remind the people uh, that they've got to do it and they come back. And mm. you check in periodically because you're changing a habit. Mm. Mm. So if our habit is we only hear from some people because we're dying to get out of here, or our habit is, you know, um, I, I don't know, pick, pick, pick a habit. We end without closing with some optimism, you know, thing we're hopeful about. And we want to change it. Well, we had to leave time at the end of the meeting to do that, right? We got to put it on our agenda. And yeah. so actually changing that habit is work. It's tough. But it's 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 not that hard once you start. Yeah. And it really has an impact. I mean, think about it. Teams are about interactions. You have to have good interaction norms. Yeah. Ask your team what's working well. The leader is always the last to know because mm. everybody listens to the leader. The leader, by definition, belongs already. People mm. respect the leader. Um, and um, the leader gets to say what's on their mind. But you've got to ask your team. Ask them what they want. What could make better? What could the t- what could could make the team better? Um, and and you and you find out and you implement it and you stick with it. Okay, we're doing it for six months. We're doing it for three months, and then we'll check in and then we'll change. But we got to do it for three months to see if it's going to work. Yeah, I'm, I'm Vanessa, we're almost out of time, and uh, yes, I think what uh, I've really been reflecting on as you've been talking about there is you can establish the norms, you can have the tools and techniques, 
but there seems to be a couple of other critical elements to it. One is the emotionally, emotional intelligence of the leader. You've mentioned the leader a lot, and I think uh, at the uh, within that team, having that emotionally intelligent leadership is important. I think the second thing, in summary, I've heard you really talk about there is distributing leadership amongst the team, yes. particularly when it comes to the use of these tools and techniques. Um, yes. Sort of assigning responsibility around the table helps to perhaps keep the, some of the momentum of this stuff uh, going. And I think the third thing you got me thinking about was Stephen Covey, the old uh, important but not urgent um, type uh, framework. And I think the use of a lot of these tools and techniques can all be seen as important but not urgent. And when there's so much task to do, um, they right. can get implemented. So it sounds to me like um, really being mindful of that and having a bit of a mindset shift about this is not only important it's really urgent to our ongoing success and making sure that there's actually really time given to the continued work on how we're working together would that be fair to, in yes. summary to say absolutely so let's come back to Stephen Covey again he's got a, another principle which is you know I think it's called sharpen your saw in order to cut the tree down faster yeah and um if you want to accelerate your team's process you don't want to be coming back and redoing things this kind of thing, everybody's in, everybody's participating in an emotionally intelligent team. You know, you're not wasting so much time. You have these routines and it's, you accelerate. I mean, we wrote a paper once on that about, you know, we were brought into Johnson and Johnson to help them accelerate their drug development teams. Mm. And we looked at, you know, what we actually studied those teams. What were the ones that were fast doing? These were the kinds of things that they were doing. Um, let me say one more thing because you nailed it when you talked about the team lead, the team leader. And I just want to say one more thing about that. You know, there was a um, analysis of 25 years of research on, on leadership recently. And it said, you know, we know leader skills matter. We know they matter to outcomes. We don't know what goes on in the black box in between the leader's skills and the outcome. Mm. Right. So the engagement, the motivation, the positive thing. What's going on in that black box? It mm. hasn't been studied that much, Ben. Mm. But uh, what I would like to submit to you that what goes on there is developing routines and habits and interactions that meet the needs of the of the team members, get that off the table, and then build the focus on, you know, continuous improvement, including the stakeholders and just norms that will help you achieve the goals that you that you need to have achieved. It's mm. the norms and the interactions that accelerate the process and make the team high performing. Mm. Mm. In my personal opinion, some of what that black box entails are all the behaviors of this. And you've really been hinting at a lot of those, uh, I think throughout our session together with each other, you know, leaning forward, um, it's not necessarily what you do, but how you do it, the the art and the, bringing that, that sort of finesse to how you do do things, I think, is, is so important, how you bring these norms uh, to life. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you've enjoyed the chat as much as I have. I'm sure our listeners are really going to enjoy some of the poignant points that you've made. Please, everyone, Google Vanessa and uh, her work. It's so important. Um, particularly uh, post-COVID, as you were talking about. I think where there's a sense of, you know, the, the, where teams are at is just so uh, dispersed at the moment. I can't think of a better time for people to be thinking about team emotional intelligence, Vanessa, and, and how people are tracking, you know, what gets measured 
gets managed and um, gets improved upon. So thank you so much. Sure. Thank you, Ben. It's been pure pleasure talking with you. Thanks. Absolutely. And good luck with the book. Can you, can you tell us any more about it in case people want to uh, look out for it when it comes out? Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. I'm really excited about it. Um, it's with Harvard Business School Press, and it's getting done. It's hard work, but it's it's getting done. So it should be out. It's going to be another year or so. I mean, it takes a while to get it all in process and stuff. It's supposed to be done being written in uh, early May. So Excellent. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we look forward to that, and perhaps we'll um, put a note out to our network when it becomes available. We look forward to, to seeing it. Good luck with the rest of it. Thanks so much, Ben. Take good care. Good to see you. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks, Melissa.